will sleep better than you have ever slept. You've never been this relaxed. Are you ready to change your life? I'm Rusty Diamond, certified hypnotist. You don't need to leave your house. You can stay in your bed. You can stay in your favorite chair. You just need a computer or your phone. You can get a hold of me. Stay at home. I'll make your life better. Hypnosisisgrade.com It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. Yo, man, boom, this rusty. What is up, everyone? It is Tuesday. It's a late show today. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, the public access podcast here on the Rusty Diamond Podcast Network. Uh, coming to you from Intercourse, Pennsylvania ish. So, what is up? Uh, yeah, everyone, thank you for being here. If you're watching this on YouTube and you're already sick of seeing my face, you can go and listen anywhere you want. I don't know. Maybe there's some obscure hipster spot you got that does podcasts. I don't know. You got me there. But I'm on everything else you can think of. Maybe you're listening to this. You're like, what does this guy look like? Go on YouTube. Search it. Same name. Easy to find. But now... It's time for me to bring on my special guest. And my special guest is right here and right now. And my special guest right here, right now, is Tim Coyle. Uh, I'm here. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, sir. A little tired, awesome. but I'm 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 awake. I'm alive. <laughs> So getting right into it. So you were doing some work this last uh, few days, uh, you said, as a gaffer as well as grip. Yeah, well, right? I, I, I helped uh, the gaffing department with lights a little bit more than a grip normally would. It's a pretty small production, pretty small team. So uh, I normally function as a gaffer or actor on uh, film sets uh, that I get a paid gector? for. Yeah, a gector. Okay. <laughs> and Sometimes on projects, I even do both, which I really like. Uh, not not a lot of sleep is had on those projects, but it's always fun. <laughs> it, it's great to be able to get both sides of those. Like, And, uh, you know, I don't know. I wish there was, you know, you could kind of do it all. But um, so what what were you doing? Uh, you say you're okay. I fucked up already. So you were acting and uh, uh in this project this... I was just on crew. Uh okay. I think the next the next project I have I'm acting and uh, uh gaffing that one and that will be a two or three week shoot near Bremerton, Washington for a horror oh, feature shit. and uh we'll get to stay on set and uh 
those are always my favorite type of shoots because I live in McMinnville myself and most of my work is in the Portland area, which is about an hour plus away. So every gig I do is just a heck of a commute. So living on set is a dream for me. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, that's awesome. That's cool. You get to go up there. It's not in Bremerton, is it? It is. It's proper Bremerton. Oh, Uh, there okay. was something with some, I think one of the producers that we're starting to work with uh, actually lived there and he wanted to use his house as one of the locations and he had some contacts in the town. So we were uh, kind of brought up there, even though uh, a lot of the crew is Vancouver, Portland area. Uh, Yeah. most of the actors in that one will be from Washington. So it's kind of a featuring Washington a lot more than some of our other ones. Uh, it's not, you're not on a Mexican restaurant there, are you? No, no, I, no, no, we, we have not, uh, at least as far as I know, there's no locations in the cards that are Mexican restaurants that you used to work at one there. Um, I, let's see. I, uh, wrestled outside of one, uh, with the locker room there. being in behind the meat counter um so kind of one of those things and um so when you're up there um is it going to be like filming like 12 hour 14 hour days or something if you're on uh set i think a lot of the days will be like that uh, i think there's a time shift because it goes from day shoots to night shoots so i think some of the days might be a little lighter a little heavier uh yeah it Usually if the production does it right, they'll have a flow to it where they'll kind of like move you in and out of the day and night shoots instead of just suddenly back to back because I've had a couple of those and uh, everyone's kind of a zombie. It doesn't really give the actors a good chance to do their best work. And of course, crew's just dead at that point. So, uh, yeah, Yeah. hopefully this one, uh, the group I'm working with is uh, 7th Street Productions, which I've done probably four or five features with them now. Uh, where I've gaffed most of them, uh, I've acted in a lot of them. Uh, yeah, and uh, they usually run it pr a pretty good mix of kind of pushing it as much as we can and being efficient, but not killing people with the hours. Right. And there's a fine line there. There's a Yes. very fine line because, yeah, once you get too many hours, quality starts to drop. Um, and But you can go and push that very far and just get to that. It's like a really hard thing to be able to do. And um, so have you like been leading any of them or have uh, I any I have projects? I I have been a lead in mostly shorts. Uh I kind of like the character actor roles a little bit better because they're a lot funner because with the uh, the leading uh character usually has to be a little bit more vanilla so more people can kind of identify with them. They don't get to be weird or creepy or funny as much as kind of vanilla. So I've uh I've had like the best looking actors on set on some of the projects that I've been on coming up to me and actresses. And they're like, Oh, I'm so jealous of your role, dude. And they're the leads and they're getting paid more. They're in more scenes, more lines and everything. They just think that what I'm doing is a little bit more fun. So I'm kind of glad I landed in that. And that kind of helps with some of the roles, especially when I do dual role where uh, I can still get my crew function done uh, because there, there was one where I was in it a little bit more, And that was a little bit more dicey about getting the work done fast. But we also have a project coming up after this one uh, sometime in the summer. I'm not sure dates uh, that I will be one of the main characters. Uh, it's the same 7th Street group that we're working with. 
we're going to uh, make a smaller budgeted movie after this uh, one that we're making in Bremerton. And the one that we're making in Bremerton is called Conjuring the Cult. And it's a semi-sequel to our first film, uh, or one of our other films that we did called Conjuring the Beyond. And uh, this one is involving a cult and kind of a family drama type of thing. Uh, and then the one after that is still being ironed out the exact story. But I know that myself is going to be one of the leads, along with uh, Calvin Morier McCarthy, who is the spearheads seventh street he's the usually the director writer producer gets all the projects together gets the money together brings the people together uh and uh we'll have uh our other crew that does like b cam will move to a cam eric shebach he's a really good member of the team and he's even going to pop in to play a character most likely so that that's the one the next one that i'm doing in bremerton sounds like a lot of work but i'm looking forward to it but the one after that I'm looking forward to even more because I know we're going to be able to do that uh, no problem. And we're going to be able to work in an aspect of uh, improvising into that and maybe a little bit more comedic than some of our projects. Because a lot of them that we've done have been, even though they're on the cheesy side of horror, which can be funny in its own way, uh, have been trying to be a little bit more serious. So I'm just looking forward to having some fun on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um so to go back for a minute here, uh, do you remember where, what we were filming when we met? Yes. Uh, we oh. were both extras on a TV show called The Vault. And I think we might have been on season one or two. We, and we might have been, were, were we on uh, Shrill together as well? I think so. And, what, what was what was the vault? I don't. The vault was the late night at the college campus where we had to have like maroon. I, I swore I ran into you. Yeah, probably. Uh, and uh, we, we did talk about you uh, getting your license for. Uh, uh, sorry, my brain. Oh, uh, for, for hypnosis. Yes, there we go. And uh, so I remembered from that, and I believe that season two. That was season two of a show called The Vault. And it didn't come out for like years. And then I finally heard from one of the other extras. Oh, it finally came out on like Xfinity streaming service. So who knows if it's out there, but you might see us as blurry blobs in the background. <laughs> Which is a thing. It gets to be yeah. a blurry blob. And, uh, you know, but dude, it's like, it's so much fun. Uh, oh, yeah. There's And there's people... Uh, I'd say maybe seven out of ten shoots... That eventually you're with someone in there who starts complaining. And that's just something I never got. Uh, like, is it time to go home? Can I get cut? Like, why are you here? <laughs> like, for any other job, sure. Like, is it time to go? But, like, with that one, it's just like, oh, come on, don't do not do that. Yeah. Like, this is fun. Yep. Yeah, so for some people that don't know, uh, doing extras work or background work in the background of TV shows or movies uh, it, you're kind of the lowest rung on the totem pole. You're almost more of a prop than an actor or a performer. So if you transfer over into doing filmmaking, you never want to put any of that stuff on your resume. And normally people that get to being in higher positions like actor or gaffer will not do extra stuff. Uh, I'll still do it just because I love it and it's fun because as a kid, I used to pay for DVDs and Blu-rays. Well, I guess not Blu-rays as much when I was a kid, but to see the special features and see them make the movie. And in this, you get to watch them make it. 
And usually, especially if you're doing a TV show or a movie, you are going to get paid. Now, it will be boring. You might have to bring a book because uh, a lot of it is hurry up and wait. You'll get there super early, bring a bunch of different clothes, just kind of hang out in a boring room until you're needed. And then once you get on camera, you might not even be seen in the final shot. You could be sitting right next to the lead star. You could even have a they could give you a line with a, the star and then they could either cut it or they could keep your video and then replace your audio. So they have to pay you less. So uh, it's not something that you would want to put on your resume or something that you would really want to do to further a filmmaking career. But if you just want to see how a set runs and see the different functions and meet awesome other awesome people that are like passionate about film and uh, just happy to be there. uh doing extras work is uh, a good option, but it is just sitting around and doing not much and you're getting paid and you're usually getting fed fairly well. And the amount of people that come in and complain about doing that is very funny to me because they might think it's going to be like Hollywood and it's going to be action, go, go, go time the whole time. But what other job have you got paid to just sit there and wait? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, so I, yeah. I mean the only other one I did where I got paid to sit around and wait was uh was doing security on on a set. And okay. that was the the only other one like for yeah. Grim like for a while I was outside uh the sound stage uh and I would just sit out there on a on a chair and read a book and like yeah. I, this is awesome. <laughs> this, like this is yeah. this is great um and i mean yeah like it's not a not a bad gig but yeah you can't really you put it on there like uh yeah so do you have like a reel do you oh, have a reel I, I i do have a, a makeshift reel i've been really bad about building an updated one because uh i think it's just because i work so much in crew that I might be a little bit more familiar to a lot of the projects that need actors. So I haven't really had to build one. I've been able to keep cool. on getting roles, just kind of word of mouth or they know me from a different project. So I really need to. Another thing I need to do is uh, go after an agent. But one of the pathways to that is, uh, which I've been told I could, but one of the pathways is that you have to go to ongoing training which I would love to do. I would love to take classes because even the best actors, they will still train, you know, keeping your senses sharp, uh, different ways of thinking, uh, different schools of thought. Uh, so it's very helpful to keep training. But the weird situation I'm in is since I'm in McMinnville, which is about an hour away from most of the classes, and I would do so much crew work that if I paid for any ongoing courses, I would just not be able to go to like probably 90% of them because I'd be working. So uh, I'm in a bit of an odd spot with that. Uh, but I have been getting paid roles for years now, and uh, I have pretty good mix of doing, I'd say, primarily uh, gaffing crew, but I do get to play a good bit of roles, uh, and uh, I'm I'm happy about that because I did get into it first uh, through acting, through doing extras work, because when I was a kid, I wanted to do special effects, uh, you know, makeup, like for scary movies and monsters and everything. Uh, I found out to do a lot of that, you have to actually look at the real medical textbooks of like people's wounds and diseases. And uh, I, the fake stuff I could look up all day. The real stuff, no, <laughs> that, that's not me. So I, I kind of yeah. 
researched going to effect school, but it was very costly. So I kind of paused. And then finally, in 2017, when I found my way into doing extras work, so many of the extras were amazing in pointing me to different filmmaking groups on Facebook and also mentioning different acting classes if I wanted to get into that. Well, I was convinced. I was like, oh, I'm not Brad Pitt. I can't act. What are you talking about? And everyone that I said that to was eventually like, dude, you you kind of have a beard. You look a little different than a lot of people. You have like an identifiable look. They need character actors. They need like the weird neighbor or like the crazy guy. Like you can act. You just uh, maybe not the Brad Pitt roles. And so that opened up my mind and I was like, oh, okay, I'll try it out. I started taking acting classes and, you know, uh, shaking and sweating the whole time. And uh, I, I think it just took a while of working through it. And I do have some uh, me- short-term memory issues that make uh, st- acting maybe not as easy as it is for some of my co-stars that I work with. But uh, I work through that by just uh, repetition and I'll rehearse lines a lot longer than most of the people I work with, but I'm able to work through any, uh, you know, uh, any insufficient uh, parts of the brain through just basically just drilling it over and over again and putting as much time in it as I can. Yeah. Um, have you ever, so I had this thought cause I I'm very much the same way with that. And um, like trying to remember lines is, uh, yeah, it, it's gonna be a lot longer than a lot of other people. And um, did you ever have you ever thought about going the route like, uh, like you say a word like let's say your line is uh oh hey my name is Tim and then so you say it uh like record it and then leave some space like say I, my name is Tim and then leave like like that so, part and so then I- yeah. That's how I did start doing it, and I did uh, try to even do different voices just for myself to be able to tell the different people apart, and then yeah. I started getting a little bit more in-depth with it, and I started uh, editing it a little bit more, and then I figured out, oh, on my computer with a free uh, sound editing program, Audacity, you can just record what's playing on your computer. So now I've taken to editing the script so uh, it will read write and google text to speech and i pick different voices for each character and i'll record them i'll edit them together i'll space them out i'll make a version of it with all the lines all the descriptions so i can like get actions along with lines and like intentions and then i'll make a version where it's just lines so like when i'm working and i can't like rehearse with it i'll at least hear be hearing repetition of lines uh because i want to get to a place where i don't have to think about the lines i'm only thinking about how I want to play it or what I should be feeling at that time or what the character should be feeling. Uh, And uh, then I make the final version, which is, as you say, basically a fancier version of that where I do have not my own voice to act off of. I can kind of speed things up, slow them down, pitch them up, pitch them down to kind of make the dialogue flow a little bit better. Because as we know, text to speech isn't 100% yet. It's getting close. It's getting close. But, yeah, that's the only way I can do it because uh, I was working a part-time job before I went to this is my uh, only job. And I just was driving so much all over the place. And with the commute up to Portland all the time, I that really saved me because on all my drives, I could be either rehearsing if I was familiar with it enough to not need my lines. Or I could be listening to just the lines or the whole thing just to get it like cemented in my head. I will have no question about the lines. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so 
uh, so with like being a character actor, so then you really like it's more about uh I, and i i talk about this so much now like because someone said this to me like when you know your fucking character the way you know your character is how they would be at that point um doing kind of whatever like it like something so mundane as you go you're in the drive-thru of a mcdonald's and they fuck up your order how does your character react and what's your character gonna do um and then it's like okay yeah that's that's kind of fun. Then you can kind of just, you know, what would your character do? Like, then he doesn't need to have, I don't know, some some scripts I assume or some, you know, directors, uh, writers probably want their stuff said verbatim. Yeah. Kind of very into that. But then, yeah, there's some that let it have a lot of, you know, a lot of leeway and shit of uh, what goes on. And so what's... uh. What's what's kind of your way? Uh, if so, you, the way it. I try, I have a little bit of a bad habit where uh, it's drilled into me from some of the acting courses and classes I took, where uh, they didn't really bring up the possibility. Maybe it's because they were prepping for more like super high budget things. Uh, they were saying you need to say it exact, uh, phrasing exact. They wrote it that way for a reason. And if you want to even change one word, you ask either the writer or the director or a combination of both of them. So I got that in my head. So I will try to even learn lines that will never be natural to me and just play with them to try to make it feel less uh, choppy when and then I'll kind of dread asking the director if I can change something. And every time I've asked, it's been a very small thing. It's been like, oh, can uh, can I say he's instead of he is? You know, things like that. Every single time they've said yes, so I shouldn't be as, like, timid about it, but those classes sure drilled it into you. But my experience with the uh, independent stuff, they're usually really open to uh, changes as long as things stay fairly the same. I have acted with a few other people that had basically leeway to do whatever they wanted, and it made it to where you, well, you had to improv the scene, even though you, like, had a skeleton of it. Uh, because they wouldn't give you your next line prompt. So, of course, you couldn't. And since I'm such a stickler for trying to get the lines correct, uh, those, those times, even though I made it work, I'd be a little bit panicking, like, oh, oh, I got to make that make sense. Okay, uh, so maybe you can see that on my face and in, in the uh, on the screen, but hopefully they can just chop that bit off as I'm, like, kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. But I, I do like, uh, especially if I work with a director who can give some sort of direction of what they actually want, or even if they don't know what they want, at least give adjustments uh, to what I'm doing so I know that I'm doing the character justice or filling the story function that I should. Uh, because sometimes uh, I've worked with some people who are English as second language and, you know, so the uh, the script, some of the words and the cadences are not something that I would be familiar with. So I'm trying to, like, dissect the lines and make it make sense in my head when really... The best thing is just getting with a director and having them give you a little direction, just a little bit. And uh, that's my favorite thing. One of the things that I don't like is a lot of times the directors or writers uh, on set, they'll give you like one or two takes. I'm like, okay, that's good. Okay. And they don't want any variations or changes. And I was like, wait, I, I, I know I didn't do it perfect. Come on, give me, give me a chance to give you better. So that, that's the only 
time where I, I, I don't get mad, but I'm like, dang it, a little down on myself, you know. Uh, but it's 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 worked out okay so far. If, if they like it, I guess that's yeah. kind of what matters uh, in the, the grand scheme of things. And um, so have you got to any parts where, like, where you're leading a production, I guess? Uh, uh, n- not in a feature. I have in a uh, few shorts. Uh, one of them was uh, with Videos of the Future, a studio out of Portland that is now sadly closed down. It was uh, led by Michael Gibson, and it was a romantic uh, comedy short about, a, uh, I think it was like a girl's inner dialogue, telling her all the bad stuff, the negativity about not being cool enough, not being whatever enough to talk to someone that she liked. And uh, the thing that happened, the, the little uh, funny thing about the short is that since she found her uh, guy that she was interested in in a bookstore, uh, she is imagining literary characters that are telling her all the different points of view, like, oh, you're not cool. Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. So it was kind of a quirky little comedy. Uh, and I think I reprised that character in another uh, project. But the character that I played really uh, perplexed me at first because uh, they had a role of a sea captain. And I was like, oh, I have a big old beard. This will be fun. I've never played a sea captain. I'd love to tr- give that a try. And uh, Michael Gibson was my friend, so I messaged him and said, oh, I'd love to audition for the sea captain role. And another character in the project was Elvis Presley. And he said, I want you to audition for Elvis. And I was like, okay. Okay. And I did end up getting it, but I think part of the reason why I got it is it was kind of the joke that I looked nothing like him or acted nothing like him, really. Uh, And... uh, that kind of gave me confidence because I was like, there's no way I'm getting this. So I think I had fun with it and was maybe a little more goofy than I would be in some of the auditions. So I, I think that's why I got that one. And then there's been a few uh, student films over the years that I don't know have come out that where I was a lead, but I usually do play a supporting part and I do. I've liked the lead parts that I have. Uh, but as, as I've said, the, the more, that was a really good one because I got to play a character, but be one of the main featured characters up front instead of usually the characters or in a little bit of it. So that, that, that was kind of cool. If there could be like a character role or a comedy I could be in where I was in the movie more, I think that would be technically like the funnest for me. Yeah. Uh, I've done a little bit of comedy here and there. Uh, and of course, on set, even the most horrific movies that you're doing, a funny thing will happen or an effect doesn't work right or someone says the wrong line and everyone just busts up laughing, even at the deepest, darkest moments, usually, uh, if it's uh, if it's that kind of set. There are some sets that have like more serious subject matters like the uh, I won't say, but, you know, things get pretty serious and people make sure to be respectful when uh, uh, things are happening. But for the most part, it's uh big bunch of fun with your friends on set for the uh, as long as you're doing it right <laughs> yeah well what i meant was like uh like uh directing or producing or oh. writing like that part of it or, or oh yes you, i or have behind the camera so or anything uh, else because it seems in, like you're kind of everywhere which is oh yes a yeah I, awesome person to have on set anytime like, I, I have done a ton so uh I started out uh, doing the extras thing, moved into acting in the acting classes. They really drilled into you like, hey, if you want to get roles, part of it is just people knowing that you are an option. 
So getting a PA role on a set, the set likes you. You mention, oh, hey, I'm an actor. They might keep you in mind for another role. And then this isn't very normal, but on some of the very, very small sets, uh, low budget, sometimes an actor won't show up for a teeny part and you might get bumped up into that just because you will make the shoot happen, whereas all the money would be gone. And, you know, it's so hard in the indie world to get everybody together. So yeah. uh, I, I, I started doing uh, PA work a lot and people wanted me as PA because I think part of it's I have ADHD. So I'm always like looking for something to do. So I was like just helpful to all the different departments. Perfect. I would be helping uh, sound, lighting, camera, like anything. So I got moved into uh, doing lighting mostly because uh, COVID had happened. I got my tax rebate. So I bought a small lighting kit and then all my filmmaker friends who liked working with me as PA and actor were like, wait, you have lights now? You're the gaffer. So I was like, okay, time to learn this. So uh, I've been uh, a little bit uh, learn. YouTube is my school. Being on set with other people who've done it for a long time is my school where I, some of those people that I'm on set with did go to film school and they, they had a way better foundation starting out than me. But a lot of them told me that I was doing it more the right way because you get more theoretical training in a lot of uh, film school where the practical hands-on could be more valuable because a lot of times you'll get somebody from a film school who's never been on set before. And even though they know everything, they can't do anything yet. Which uh, is crazy. Yeah. So uh, I, I've, I've been happy doing that. And then uh, I even helped sound a few times. And I, again, with some of the tax rebate, I bought my own small sound kit. And that made a lot of the indie projects come after me, wanting me to do sound, even though I would try to uh, point them to other sound people in the community that were experts at it, because I would say I'm better than a PA with a boom pole, but I'm nothing compared to the person with like $15,000 worth of gear, you know. Uh, but then again, a lot of the projects that I was doing didn't have budgets and they were paying out of their own pocket, like not being able to make their house payment or car payment because they wanted to just make their project. So I felt... After a while, I felt bad because other sound people were like, what the heck, man? You're taking my jobs. And I never really liked sound much. So I finally stopped doing that. And then like uh, as a I boom recently. Yeah, I, I was uh, booming and mixing a one man band type of thing. And uh, I, the people that I did it for always liked it and said the sound quality was good. But I always just had the knowledge in my back of my head. Like there's other people that like this more and are better at it. Unfortunately, a lot of them cost more, so it probably hurt the projects a little bit going forward. Uh, but in my mind, I was taking lower pay because I was like learning. And but now that I've gotten to a certain point, I've started turning down all sound gigs. So uh, and I have helped on some sets in the role as uh, AC assistant camera, uh, helping like rig up cameras, helping uh, mount cameras, helping even on slate sometimes. And then recently, for a movie with Seventh Street features uh and uh breaking glass pictures i directed wrote directed edited and gaffed a short for uh, an anthology that uh Ooh. the distribution company was interested in the boogeyman so uh while boogeyman isn't my number one like horror uh you know property that i was interested in since i was a kid that's uh zombies 1978 uh george romero's dawn of the dead is my favorite movie of all time uh, I was floored by given the opportunity to direct, write, and uh, you know, gaff, edit my own project because 
the 7th Street, Street group wanted to see what all of us could do because we're all kind of like multi-tools, a little different than some sets. Usually people are just in one area. A lot of us act. A lot of us do multiple crew functions. Uh, so that was kind of like a thank you to us from 7th Street to give us an opportunity to actually be the head, be, you know, be the writer, be the director, make all the creative decisions. And so I did get to do that. And uh, th- that was wild because it was a three-day shoot at a house in Vader, Washington, I think. I think it's Vader. Uh, okay. And it is a- an amazing house. We shot a different movie there. We we just want to keep going back to this house because there's a bunch of uh, forest around it and uh, a lot of amenities around there and a really cool-looking house. So we went there. I've, I worked with uh, actors that I've worked with before as co-stars and just being crew. Uh, they were great. They stuck through it. Uh, Steve Larkin, a British actor from the Portland area, he was my lead along with uh, Jax Kellington, which uh, she was from Portland, but I think she's more located in L.A. now, but she came back for the film. And uh, that was a huge learning experience. And then afterwards, I only had one month to edit the project. Uh, There was supposed to be two months. But the big problem was that I was on two other projects as actor and crew. And then like two other projects as crew. So there was no sleep happening. I'm sure uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm probably going to go back and just for myself, make an extended edition of it you know polish it up a little bit just because there were a lot of scenes that i had not a lot a few scenes i had to cut and trim down because an anthology movie i we were kind of amazed uh my short that i made was way longer than it was supposed to be it was supposed to be 15 minutes and the rough cut of everything assembled together was about 35 so i had to yeah i had to really uh trim down so i'll probably go back and just as like kind of a learning thing kind of make an extended version of that but i also got to act in a different short in that same anthology and uh apparently the distribution company liked the scene that i was in and it is that more comedy kind of kind of uh tone to it so i think that's why Calvin and 7th Street want to do that movie after the next one we're doing is to kind of give distribution more of that. Maybe people will have some fun with it. So I've got to do a lot of different functions. I'll say that the directing didn't come as naturally to me as a lot of people because a lot of people have uh, have done camera before. So they have more of an idea for blocking and uh, things like that. But thankfully, I had my awesome crew that uh, a lot of them had directed before, so any gaps that I had, they were able to help uh, push me through it. And I was the one of the most proud things I I, I I heard from some of the crew is that even though mine was a little bit longer hours than some of the other shorts that we had done, uh, everyone had a great time. They 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 just everyone was like all love at the end. It wasn't one of those shoots where everyone's just dead dog tired and want to die at the end and like, don't want to talk to each other, which I've had that on a few ones. Uh, but so I'm just happy that everyone had a good experience and they felt good about it. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see if people enjoy it. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that one will be out on March 5th. And uh, the word is that it will be out on Amazon, I think first for uh, rental or purchase. And then all the movies that we've done have eventually landed on different streaming sites for uh, either just watching for free or purchase. Uh, one of our movies, which we all thought was kind of wild, uh, part of it's because it does have Conjuring in the title, but our other movie, Conjuring the Beyond, uh, a single YouTube channel was able to buy rights to 
play the movie or partnership with the distribution company. So you don't have to pay to watch it. You can just watch it on YouTube, but they get the ad Cool. revenue or whatever. But one of the uh, links months and months ago, was it 4 million views? Uh, and the, I think by now it's like 5 million. And then they had another one up that was 500,000 views. And, uh, and you know, a, a lot of it probably is people coming in thinking, oh, this is another Conjuring movie or wanting that. Uh, oh, a horror movie Conjuring. So that they, they might have been thinking that, which, of course, at that point we made a I don't remember the budget, like twenty, thirty thousand dollars, something in, in there where uh, the bigger movies actually it might have been a little bit more. But the bigger movies, that's not even one day, you know, Right. so uh, a lot some of the people in the comments might have might have been a bit harsh about the quality of it. And we're like, well, we made it with like seven people in a, in a school in two weeks. So we're just glad that we're in the conversation. Uh, so, but yeah, that one was really cool to see on YouTube just because we don't get metrics from the distribution company for any of the streaming services or Amazon. So we don't know if anyone, like how many people are watching properly. That's Uh, weird. well, I think part of it's because the business deal we have worked out, uh, we, we've been making, we're kind of, I don't, I don't know what you would call it. We're kind of almost like this distribution company's little, uh, horror factory where we'll, uh, keep on, uh, making, uh, Cool. horror movies. But part of that was that, you know, nowadays there's so many streaming movies, so many TV shows, so many everything that the light, you know, the possibility that it's going to become like an Aliens or a Star Wars is so tiny, so tiny that like you're probably not going to get uh, noticed. And the main thing for all of us at 7th Street is that we wanted to make movies like we're obviously not getting paid like a ton or anything, but we that's our main thing. We just want to make movies. So uh, I think the way that the business might be structured is that we don't own the rights to it. We just make it for them. So that, then at that point, uh, if you owned it yourself and you put it through a distribution company, they are supposed to give you numbers and then you get make uh, money off of how many views. Uh, that's my vague understanding of it. But a lot of times, not with our distribution company, but with other distribution companies, I've heard horror stories of what's uh, who's to say that they're giving you accurate numbers. They could just Right. give you any numbers unless you audit them at thousands of dollars at your own cost. And you kind of have to have a bigger movie at that point, because a lot of the times the uh, royalties that people make are like 80 bucks a month for some of the indie films. So like spending thousands of dollars out of pocket to even try uh, to, you know, fix that isn't going to isn't going to work out so much. So we we manufactured it or Calvin, really, he's the business head. And I might be speaking out of turn because I wasn't involved with any of the business dealings. But from my understanding, Uh, he was able to manufacture it in a way to where we get to reliably make movies. I think last year we made three or four uh, features, and that was with us doing, I think, the years kind of blur together. But uh, yep. that was with all of us doing different projects, too, with like different crews. And because uh, uh, some of us work with other crews a little bit more than other, a little bit more hired guns. But uh, 7th Street is like the home of all of us, basically. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, cause I mean, it would be nice to know kind of like, you know, at least kind of who's watching it, but like, it, I guess it doesn't even matter. Like if they're just having you fucking make whatever, like, 
just well, keep we making get, movies. They're like, you're doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Well, the, we, we do get a slight idea because we do get to see some YouTube reviews and like reviews from horror websites. So we, okay. we do know that there's interest, but like the exact numbers of who's watching, it was always a mystery to us. So just seeing the numbers, we were like, oh, that's great. Awesome. Maybe someone will will someday be like, oh, hey, that's that movie from 7th Street. I liked that other one or that other one was OK. I'll give it a watch. So hopefully we just get noticed somehow. Not like I'm not having any dreams or aspirations of becoming the next A24 or like millionaire Blumhouse or anything. But uh, just as if if people could notice us enough to where we could just keep making movies, I'm happy. <laughs> it sounds like they're already kind of at that spot. So yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, you're uh, living the dream, mm -hmm. you know, so like... <laughs> Well, well, for well, now, it's, it's uh, th partially thanks to uh, my living situation with my roommates. They're super awesome, uh, not charging me an arm and a leg. I, I help out uh, with food and all that, and we've helped each other through the years. Uh, so with filmmaking, especially in the indie world, you kind of have to have a good support system to make it yeah. happen. And my parents are super uh supportive they even offered when i started in this like hey do you want to quit your job and we'll support you and you just go after it full time and i really appreciated the offer but i would never feel right about myself if they spent a lot of money and it didn't amount to anything uh so uh i didn't take them up on that offer but uh that is unfortunately one of the things that's kind of required to do it regularly unless you can break into uh higher budget uh productions which usually requires a move to like new mexico la uh louisiana it's any of the different film meccas where they have way more films going on so you actually can make a living wage uh whereas here even though they do have larger projects in portland from my understanding they don't always but a lot of times they do bring in just the people from la or other places. So uh, like every once in a while, they'll hire locals. Uh, I have seen locals on some of the projects I was just extra on in some of the higher up positions so that some people do make it in. But from what I hear, it's a lot of uh, it's really hard to make it in uh, Portland, uh, which is why I kind of split time with uh, I don't do too many of them because I'm so busy that a lot of times when I get asked, I can't do them. I do do I like commercial uh, projects and like interviews for internal videos for companies uh, through a couple different uh, production companies. One of them is a Portland video production company. They're great to work with. Uh, the rates are usually a little higher than indie stuff, of course, because a, a company has uh, marketing money to put behind the project instead of where it's someone like losing their house payment to, to make the movie happen. Uh, so it is nice in that regard. And then the people are great. They're usually super, super chill, uh, even though I'm usually pushing to do something a little fancier. Just anything beyond like, OK, is like they're beyond the moon about it. Uh, so it's a little less frustrating than some films you get put on, because a lot of films you get put on, you get put in a losing situation where like you won't have power for your lights, even though they told you you'd have power or the room is so small and it's just white walls. So if you put up a light. It's just going to be bright. You can't make it look like dark and shadowy and spooky. And uh, so I, I they are usually not always, but usually a little easier and a little higher paying. And from my understanding, that's how a lot of the production people make it happen, especially in Portland areas. They're kind of weekend warriors with the story driven stuff, but they mainly do the commercial stuff because they pay the bills and, you know, they can pay for their kids, you know, medical and all that. 
but I am more, I do commercial every once in a while and mainly story driven. So a little less money, but <laughs> uh, a, a little yeah. more uh, creative satisfaction. Because uh, really, it's the people that you work with, and when you're able to do something nice on the uh, on the commercial gigs that make it kind of feel worthwhile. Whereas usually it feels worthwhile as long as everyone's trying their hardest on the uh, on the indie projects, no matter what. Yeah. Uh. So have have you like gone and thought about just on a, on a whim, like going and doing something? further out like kind of out uh in the middle of nowhere like not so, nowhere but like one of like you know going down and doing a thing in la or new mexico I, or atlanta or i've had it posed to me by a few different people that they want to fly me places for different productions but a lot of uh i think uh with especially with gaffing doing lighting for projects uh part of what makes me valuable in the portland area uh in indie world is that i have my own gear so getting all your lighting and gear there would be exorbitantly expensive. So you'd ha- I'd have to be a little bit more uh, familiar with like the lighting rental uh, places in the area. So I'd probably have to go a few times uh, just as, you know, uh, just to see what's in each area, just to know where I could go to even get lights when I get there. But uh, I, also one thing I've found with the filmmaking is it's I always hated that it was this when I first got into it until i learned that it was very important it's who you know who knows so if i go yeah if i go to a different film market no one's gonna know me so i don't even know if i'd be able to work i'd have to pick up a different field of work and then who knows i might not even be able to get back into it i'm pretty well established in portland uh so and the it's who you know thing i always thought was terrible and elitist and i i didn't understand why it was a thing until i started actually filmmaking and uh there is an aspect to it where some people are just mean and difficult and they ruin the set. But part of the, the I think the biggest part, even beyond talent for it's who you know, is the reliability, especially in the indie world, is that one person not showing up can totally tank a whole shoot. So yeah. uh, if you just show up and are friendly to work with, even if you don't know everything yet and you're not like the most talented Like I've had people tell me they wanted me on a project when I try to send them to somebody else and they'd be like, no, you're easier to work with. So, and it's like, it's not something I did calculatingly. It's just because I wanted to film do filmmaking ever since I was a kid and I was finally doing it. So of course it's easy to be happy in that, in that situation. Yeah. And that's fucking awesome. That's the, yeah, that's the person you want to have on, on there. And then someone that knows how to do most everything on set, like, that's that's who you wanna you wanna see, and then also yeah, someone who can act. So like, so when you do comedy and stuff, are you just doing it totally like straight? Like, I uh, assume that's kind of what's up with you, and uh, I can assume that'd be pretty pretty I, funny. I've done pretty, I've done some kind of straighter roles with a slight comedic tilt, but usually the more comedic roles I do, they even have like character voices and stuff. So I'm a little bit more. Uh, on, but I haven't been really given a project that had to be like uh, thread the line of comedy and drama a little bit more. It's mainly okay. been like either one or the other. So most of the comedy stuff have been a little goofy, uh, but uh, I kind of really like that because I know it's not good because sometimes what is funny on set and what feels right on set won't translate to the edit. But it's, it's yeah, just super, it's super, 
super super fun getting the cast and crew and the other actors to crack. <laughs> right. And I know it's bad for I'm not trying to do it, but uh yeah, that yeah. You you know you're on to something. Do you do you watch and do the editing then with them sometimes and then I, does there other parts where they're like, Oh shit, like I didn't know this part was fucking hilarious until <laughs> I'm watching it back and like we gotta reframe it. I haven't been able to be part of the editing of any of the projects I've been in myself per se, but I have been sent clips and like outtakes from different parts uh, yeah. from the editors and the the editors are just sitting there laughing their asses off. And sometimes it's not even like an acting thing I did in the scene. Just sometimes I, I, I mess something up and the way that I did it just uh, for some reason they think it's hilarious. So I, I have gotten a bit of that. I've got to, uh, with some of the more serious projects with seventh street, I have got to be around as Calvin edits and kind of see his process. And he is a very quick editor. Uh, like oh. we, we wrapped a trailer or, uh, we wrapped a shoot and two days later he had a teaser, tra- teaser trailer out. Whoa. Yeah. He is like insane in that way. And it, it's almost like a drive to as soon as he gets home. If, Cause I go and stay at his place a lot when we shoot in Portland or Vancouver area, because you know, I don't, I, I could drive back to McMinnville, but a lot of times we're just shooting the next day and we're friends and like hanging out. So even if we don't have a shoot the next day, we get to hang out, uh, and I'll hang out there with him, and he's just a madman going in and speed mode, editing everything uh, super quick, and everyone's super impressed by it because they're like, holy crap, we just filmed that. Usually you don't see something from a project sometimes for a year or two. Yeah, uh, and that's sometimes even fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then uh, what's 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 next what's next uh on the agenda for you next for me is uh the project that i'm on right now is called more than only and i believe it's a family drama uh it's about uh i believe it's uh lgbtq characters that have uh had a surrogate a daughter with one of their friends from high school and kind of like the inner workings of that. And uh, from my understanding, uh, a lot of, they have a lot of fans because they've done a movie and they've done a couple series off of, off of the same property. And wow. uh, there's a lot of interest in it. So it keeps on going and I'm, I'm working with great cool. people. Uh, not a hundred percent the same crew as I worked with last time, but uh, some new people, I, I, they're awesome. So I'm, I'm happy working on that. And that one is a little bit different because some projects, uh, they don't, a lot of the people are still working their day jobs. So this one is all weekends, which sometimes I wouldn't do because if you take a two-day job on a weekend, it could disqualify you from a two-week job of a feature shoot. So uh, right. I stay away from those sometimes, but this group I really liked and now is the kind of slower time of year anyways. So I have had to turn down offers for it, but not as much as I would like in the summertime. And it was an offer I got a while ago. So I was happy to come back. So I have that uh, will last up until a week or two before I go off to Bremerton for uh, the shoot of Conjuring the Cult. And then after that, I have another project that I'm not crewing on, but I'm acting and I'm playing basically the bad guy. Uh, I have to be more aggressive and angry than I've ever had to be in a role. But the part that uh, gave me comfort in that is because I don't think I'm the most intimidating guy, but literally in the instructions for that one, they did say he was all bark and no bite. So like 
you didn't have to believe that he was actually intimidating. So I was like, oh, I could do that any day, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, they fortunately liked what I did in the audition. So I got brought onto that, and I think that's, I think that's April. And then uh, I have other projects that are asking about dates and talking about stuff, but nothing really in the books yet besides that other project in the summertime. But things can get a little crazy schedule-wise, especially uh, coming up. I, like I had to turn down two jobs for one job the other day just because with filmmaking, especially in the Portland area, or maybe it's everywhere, it just seems to be feast or famine. You'll have like multiple offers for one time period or nothing for a while. And it's usually fairly uh, busy, fairly steady uh, until you get to the winter time. Because, of course, you know, bad weather, people don't want to film, people are want to stay inside. Uh, but I didn't feel that the first two years. People were telling me that the first two years that I did this is my only work. And yeah. then I think everyone got their projects from COVID filmed finally. And then this year was the first year where there was just like nothing going on in the, in the winter time. And I was uh, kind of scheming. I was like, oh, God, if this keeps going, I'm going to have to start making stuff myself of a one man, you know, short or something. But uh, thankfully, the productions have picked back up. So uh, I'm, I'm just hoping for enough work to keep me busy, keep me going and keep me making films. Yeah, man. Uh, and if not, uh, hopefully you can do those uh, one man uh, yep, shows yep. <laughs> right there. You know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing some of those. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, I'm happy we got to talk and I uh, get to have you on here and, uh, happy that you're getting work and, you know, yeah. still, still doing that, man. That's awesome. I, I'm yeah. happy to see it. Like every time I see it, like doing that, I'm like, all right, man, good, good fucking deal, man. This guy, I'm, I'm happy for him. So well, thank you, um, buddy. yeah, you bet. And, uh, yeah, so how are people going to find you? Uh, I guess you said how they can find you for most any, all your work. Uh, how can they find you either uh, online or in a back alley or something? Or whatever. <laughs> well, online, I, I don't have an official site or anything yet. Maybe I should work on that. Or I don't even have my own production company, which I've been told a few times I should get an LLC. Uh, but I do have a Facebook that I use, uh, and I do use it a lot for filmmaking. That's kind of... Even though I do have friends and family on there, that's one of the main places in the Portland indie world you find out about filmmaking. So uh, my name is on there is Tim Coyle. That's T-I-M-C-O-Y-L-E. And you'll see a picture of me dressed up as that uh, Elvis, which is not very, uh, not very convincing, but that's me. And then I'm also on Instagram and I can find you the exact name. It is, I think it's timothy.coyle87, and that's C-O-Y-L-E. And uh, I do mostly, sometimes I just film stupid videos and put them up like something dumb, but I do a lot of behind the scenes and like promo stuff for the projects that I'm doing uh, just to show people that you're working. That's something that was kind of drilled into me from uh, my acting classes. Cool. And, uh, yeah, if uh, you're ever looking for, uh, like, I was going to say, like, uh, like, so there's this guy, and every time, like, he kind of has your look, but, like, in, like, if you did a lot of, uh, if you're kind of fucked up, but he's this comedian guy, his name's William Montgomery, William he has Montgomery. Kind, kind of your look, uh, and, like, if you were, like you said, if you were doing the, uh, 
all bark, no bite kind of a thing. Um, that kind of deal that that's kind of like, if you want to get kind of a feel of what that could cool. look like, um, that might be something to, to check His out. His name is Michael Montgomery. W- William Montgomery. William Montgomery. Yeah. Um, it's, it's out there. So just, just so you know, um, but cool. yeah. So yeah, man, thanks a bunch for being on here. Uh, happy to, yeah, we'll get, I, yeah, get you back here in a few months if you're up for it. Heck yeah. Um, cool. All right. Yeah. Whatever cool. that is like May or something. Yeah. Just let me know. Before it starts. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, Hey, have a good rest of your day, man. You too, sir. Good to catch All up right. with you. Likewise. All right. That's uh Tim Coyle, dude. Uh, book him, find him, do whatever you do. Good guy, man. So I'll tell you how to get a hold of him. That's easy. And thank you everyone for being here and listening and, Doing what you do, and thank you for that. And that is the show, man. Boom! It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker. It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker.